The reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 to 37. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him and healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant who I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognised by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, who are evil, say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. This is the Gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ. Well, thank you very much, Luke. And um, again, it's really good to be with you. I'm sorry, there's been an odd, this doesn't happen much, but I've somehow been rostered on leading and preaching, so I apologise for that. It doesn't happen very often. Hopefully that's been offset by the great music. Thank you to the musicians. Great to sing. I know it's not a a popular choice, but... Before the Throne of God Above is one of my absolute favourites. I think it's a great song. Uh, But then we've got that reading. And that reading was quite long. Thank you, Luke, for reading it so well. It wasn't perhaps the simple, encouraging passage I might have um, hoped for for our first gathering back together. 
But I like it that we don't just pick and choose passages here. We've been going through Matthew's Gospel for a while, and this is the next section that we're up to, and so that's what we're doing. And so will you join with me in praying that even if it might not be our personal pick for this morning, what's the Lord got to teach us and encourage us and challenge us from that particular part of God's Word this morning? Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you for uh, your Word, and we thank you that uh, in season and out of season you speak to us. And you don't tell us what our itchy ears want to hear, you tell us what we need to hear. And so as we come to a passage which uh, there's quite a lot in it, and the Lord Jesus says a lot of things, and some of them are quite hard, we pray that by your Spirit you'd help us hear you this morning. Hear the truths that you have to teach us, remind us of. Perhaps we're seeing them for the first time, perhaps we're being reminded of something we've known for a long time. And then help us not just be hearers of the Word, but doers of it. People who uh, put into practice the things that you teach us. And by doing that, Father, we pray that we would speak to this world around us more clearly and boldly of your Son, our Saviour, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, I'm sure that nearly everyone in this room has gone to the doctor at some stage, or uh, perhaps it was going to your parents as a child and been instructed to poke your tongue out and say, Ah. Uh, it's fairly common, it's fairly well known. I'm told, not being a medical professional at all, uh, but I'm told that it's an excellent way to help diagnose what's wrong with a person. For either the health professional or the, um, the parent at home, you can examine the tongue and see certain things and know certain things about a person's health. If there are particular coloured coatings or textures of coatings, it will reveal certain things. This is terrible, isn't it? It's a gross way to start the morning. Uh, so it will reveal certain deficiencies in the body. I'm told that there are some sorts of diabetes you can tell someone's got just by looking at their tongue. Or sometimes uh, they use the popsicle stick to depress the tongue or make you stick it out further and say, ah, louder, so that you can see behind the tongue and see what's going on behind. Uh, but what I'm telling you, the, the upshot of it is, an examination of the tongue is helpful in seeing the health of a person physically. Well, today we're going to see in these verses that there's a similar spiritual truth. Jesus says, and this is Jesus who's doing the teaching, Jesus says that our tongues or our mouths or our speech reveal a lot, a lot about us spiritually as well. And you may think, well, Jay, why are you picking on that? Jesus says lots of things about Beelzebub and about Satan and about kingdoms and about unforgivable sins. Why are we focusing on uh, the tongue? Because I've become convinced, looking at this passage, the mouth, the speech, the tongue is the key to this part. Notice verse 34, second half of verse 34. Andrew, we're going to pay you double time today. There's a bigger lot, and I'm going to focus on a number of verses. Verse 34, second half. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's a lot of truth in that statement. You might not think that at the moment, because we're in election season, right? So we're going to hear a lot of things spoken by words which may not be coming from the heart. But Jesus' truth here still stands. At some stage, the way you and I speak will display what lies behind our heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, that's a little teaser. We'll get to why I'm focusing on that in a, in a moment. Uh, but let's come back to this passage as a whole. Now, our passage is a little odd today because I think there's, there's kind of two parts to it. And I'm not sure the first part directly relates to the second part. I think it goes with the passage from last week that James spoke to us about. So we're going to look at it because we've got it in our reading, verses 15 to 21, but we're going to look at it briefly and then we'll spend most of our time in the second section, the part where Jesus is speaking about Satan or Beelzebub, kingdoms, unforgivable sins and words. 
But let's look at this part in verses 15 to 21. And I've called this, if you're taking notes, uh, Jesus the Wonderful Servant. Uh, even if this isn't connected, there's some great truths here, and I hope you uh, rejoice in them and hold on to them this morning. Verse 15 says, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from this place. Uh, this is, again, is another reason why I think it goes with the passage before, not, not our passage today, because what's the this? What's the this that has caused Jesus to withdraw? Well, if you were with us last week, not in person, but uh, online, then you'll remember that James was speaking to us about an, uh, an episode where Jesus ran into some problems with the Pharisees over the Sabbath. He did some teaching on the Sabbath, it annoyed some of the Pharisees, and the verse immediately before ours, verse 14, said this, that the Pharisees were now plotting to kill Jesus. So that's the this. The Pharisees are now plotting to kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from this place. We're told that he withdrew in verse 15, but many followed him. And Jesus then healed all the sick amongst the group that had gone with him. But then he warned those that he'd healed not to say who he was. And then we're told that this fulfills somehow a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah many hundreds of years earlier. Now, some people say, well, what's the connection? Why did this fulfill? I think it's because the Pharisees are trying to kill Jesus. But this prophecy that we're about to read is really talking about the fact that Jesus is not interested in quarrels. He's not interested in fighting and controversy. He's the servant of the Lord with the spirit of the Lord who's doing the work of the Lord, and he doesn't want to engage in that. So that's why this is fulfilling. So the words that we're going to read in verse 18 here were said hundreds of years earlier about Jesus from the prophet Isaiah. Have a look what they say. Here is my servant whom I've chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Uh, very quickly, it says that Jesus is the servant of God, the one who has God's spirit upon him, <clears throat> and the one who will achieve his work. And his work is described here primarily as justice, bringing justice. There will come a time when the injustice of this world will be sorted out by the servant of God. It's a great little description of Jesus. Uh, I love verse 20, personally, where he says, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Uh, a reed back then was used for many things. You could use a reed uh, for a flute, you could use it for a measuring rod, you could use it for a pen. But the thing that you always needed a reed to do to be able to achieve its purpose was it couldn't be bruised or battered, it had to be strong and robust. This one isn't. And a wick had a very important role back then too, because this is before electricity and lights. A smouldering wick meant that it would just be billowing out smoke and there'd be very little light. In both cases, do you see the picture? These things are not what they should be. They're not operating at full capacity. They're damaged in some way. There's a fragility to them in some way. It's not hard to understand what's being said here. The bruised reed and the smouldering wick is you and I. And the one who's the servant of God with all power, who's going to bring justice, doesn't break the bruised reed and doesn't snuff out the smouldering wick. He treats us with tenderness and care. How different from the way the world usually treats those of us when we're feeling most broken and vulnerable. 
If you've ever received indifference or insensitivity from people, if you've ever received apathy or violence from some, come to Jesus and you will never be treated that way. If you're feeling vulnerable this morning or close to breaking point, this is the guy to go to because his care and his gentleness and his tenderness with you and I is exactly the balm that you and I need. So it's, uh, although I'm not sure it fits completely with the, the rest of what we're looking at, it's a great picture of Jesus. Jesus, the wonderful servant of God. Well, then we move on, though, to the second half. And I'm going to break this next section, because it's quite long, up into two parts. Uh, and the first part we're going to look at is verses 22 to 30, where we see a choice of two kings and two kingdoms. A choice of two kings and two kingdoms. In verse 22, the scene changes and we focus on one particular healing of Jesus. So we've just been told that he healed all the people who'd followed him, but now there's one person who's focused on in particular. A man is brought to Jesus and we're told that he's demon-possessed, he's blind, and he's mute. This is an unlucky guy. Triple threat. Wonderfully, Jesus heals him. So he's not possessed anymore and we're told explicitly he can now talk and see. And presumably all the people saw Jesus do this. And so they react to Jesus doing this incredible thing in front of them. But we see two contrasting reactions. In verse 23, we see most of the people astonished. They see what Jesus has done, and and they can barely believe the power and authority that he's had to be able to do this. And they say, could this be the son of David? Now, son of David's a very important phrase in Matthew, because if you remember right back at the beginning of the series, right back at chapter 1, there was a genealogy of Jesus, and Jesus being a son of David was very important in that. And that's because there was a prophecy in the Old Testament that said one of David's descendants, a son of David, would be the Christ, the promised servant, as we've just heard, the promised king from God who would come. And so these people see Jesus heal this man in an incredible way and go, I think this is the guy. I think this is him. This is, this, this is the son of David that we've been waiting for. So it's a great reaction from them. But it's not the only reaction. Because in verse 24, we're told that some of the Pharisees, some of the religious leaders, some of the same people probably that uh, had the problem with Jesus over the Sabbath in the, in the passage from last week, some of the relig- religious leaders say something different. They say, oh, well, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Uh, Beelzebub is probably another name for Satan, but it's, it's another kind of way of saying prince of demons. So they attribute what Jesus has done to Beelzebub, to Satan. Now notice... And this is very uh, important. They don't deny Jesus healed the man. There's, they, there's not even a hint that there's any trickery going on here. There's no fakery going on here. In fact, probably most of these people knew the man. So they had known him for years as being blind. They had known him for years as being mute. They'd seen evidence of him being demon-possessed. So they knew that this was not some anonymous person who was pretending to be not good, and now, he, now he's, 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 he's pretending he's fine and been healed. So I'm sure at the moment that Jesus healed him, quite a bit went on to test this. You can imagine people throwing people, uh, th- throwing people, throwing things at him to make sure he can really see. You can imagine them getting the, him to say their name to make sure he can really speak. You can, you can imagine them engaging him in conversation to see if he's still possessed. They knew that a miracle had taken place. They knew that power had happened and something miraculous had occurred. 
This, was, this is always the case with Jesus in the Gospels. Even his enemies, the people who hate Jesus the most and want to discredit him the most and ruin his reputation publicly the most, could never deny the things he'd done. They were done in front of everyone. They were done above board. They just tried to give the credit somewhere else. And that's what they do here. And so instead of drawing the obvious conclusion that Jesus is clearly God's servant, if not more than his servant, his son himself, that Jesus is God's person using God's power, they say, well, he used the power of the devil. That's how he did it. And then the rest of the reading from verse 25 onwards is one long speech by Jesus, 25 through to 37, one long speech by Jesus refuting that ridiculous claim. So mostly when we're in the Gospels, it's narrative, it's telling the story. But from verse 25 through to 37, it's not narrative anymore, it's just one long speech of Jesus. And in the first half of it that we're looking under this section, verses 25 to 30, he basically says how silly it is to think that he got his power from demons, that he healed, that he healed this man by the power of Satan or Beelzebub. Have a look, verse 25, he's arguing logically here. He says, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then could his kingdom stand? Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, if I'm doing this by the power of Satan, I'm destroying the power of Satan, and there would just be a civil war, and Satan's kingdom won't stand. It's silly to think that. Then in verses 27, he changes tack, but he's still disproving their claim. He says... Uh, have a think about this, Pharisees. Some of your people yourselves have casted out demons. Uh, how do you attribute them being able to do that, knowing full well that they attribute it to the power of God? And so he's saying, why would you attribute your people it's from God, but from me it's from Satan? Good for the goose, good for the gander. So do you see, he's in this part, he's making arguments against their view that he's done this by the power of Satan. But now in verse 28, he goes on to say how he has done it. This is not how I did it. This is how I have done it. I drive out demons, he says. He puts the emphasis on himself. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, now he draws in the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He says it's to do with him and the Spirit of God and God's kingdom. And he continues with an analogy in verse 29. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can rob his house? Now, this is a strange picture because we would expect Jesus to be the strong man, but he's not. Who's the strong man? Satan's the strong man. And Jesus is the one who ties up the strong man to rob his house. <laughs> that doesn't seem right to our ears, does it? But he's not robbing his house, he's freeing the captives. But do you see Jesus' point? Satan's a strong man, but I'm stronger. I bind him up and free his captives. I can heal this man from demon possession because I am stronger than Satan. And then he says, carries on verse 31, He who's not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. Now, I want you to notice in all these verses, as well as arguing against what the Pharisees had said, that Jesus is doing this by the power of the devil, he's doing something else. He's saying there's two kingdoms. There's God's kingdom, verse 28. There's Satan's kingdom, verse 26. And he's saying there's two kings. There's Satan, verse 26, and there's him, verse 31. It's very stark. 
And he, he's saying, basically, there's only two kingdoms. There's no halfway house. There's no dual citizenship. You're either in one kingdom or the other. You can't have a foot in both. And you've, only, you've either got one king or the other king. You can't have a half king. As Jesus says, verse 30, he who's not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Friends, this is strong, challenging language by the Lord. But it speaks of a need for Christians to be wholehearted and full throttle in their following and discipleship of the Lord Jesus. Christianity is not just something that you can have as an added extra with other parts of your life. It's the whole of your life. It's the center of your life. Because we belong to one kingdom under one king. And there's a warning here for those of us who are what I would describe as Sunday Christians. And I use that phrase because I used to be one. When I first became a Christian, I was working at the milk factory, and I told people I was a Christian, and I went to church on Sunday. You would not have known I was a Christian by the way I lived the rest of my life. There were areas of my life where my faith didn't uh, affect it. I had one foot in the Christian kingdom and one foot in the other. But Jesus says here you can't. You've got to pick your king. You've got to know which kingdom you belong to. And I've got to say, friends, it should be a no-brainer. Jesus shows here what the kingdom of God is like. When you see Jesus doing incredible things in the gospel, it's really a foretaste of what the kingdom of God is going to be like. There's a sense that the kingdom of God is here because God's spirit is with us, but we still live in a fallen world as fallen people, and so it's not perfect. But one day it will be. We will enjoy the kingdom of God perfectly as it was. When you see Jesus doing incredible things in the gospel, it's a foretaste to what heaven will be like, to what the new creation will be like. And so it's a no-brainer which kingdom you want to be in. There'll be no sickness because Jesus has healed it all. It's gone. There'll be no evil because Jesus has got rid of it all. That's what he's showing with this man. There'll be no mute people. Well, I take it we'll all be able to sing in tune. As good as this morning will be, it will be even better when we can all sing in tune. Thanks to the new creator. That's what the kingdom of God will be like. And he will do all that with every bruised reed and smoldering wick because he cares for us individually and he'll look after us on the process and he'll take us to be with him. That's the kingdom that you and I belong to. That's the king that we have. Let's live in that kingdom. Let's live with him as king. Beyond the world that you and I live in and experience with our senses today, beyond coronavirus and lockdowns, beyond family and loneliness, beyond health and sickness physically, is two kingdoms with two different kings. Which is your kingdom? And who do you follow? Live that out. So we've got Jesus, God's wonderful servant. We've got a choice between two kingdoms and kings. Uh, thirdly, lastly, we've got, well, I've called this a word about words, and it's a dumb heading. So please think of another heading for me, because I'd like to change it if I ever preach this again. Uh, a word about words. From verse 31 onwards, Jesus changes tack a bit. And we get to some of the words in this passage that unsettle Christians because we hear of a sin that will not be forgiven. And this is not some wise person who's saying this. This is Jesus saying this. And Christianity is pretty big on saying that everyone can be forgiven and every sin can be forgiven. If you come to Jesus Christ as your saviour, then everything can be forgiven. doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. But here in verse 31, we see something different. Jesus says... And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, men and women, but blasphemy against the Spirit 
will not be forgiven. And if you just pause there and think, well, okay, maybe I'm reading that, and it's a bit harsher than I thought, but he didn't really mean it that way. Not when we carry on reading, verse 32. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. That's lucky for Peter, isn't it? Peter who denied Jesus three times, and lucky for you and I, because we've probably <clears throat> spoken against the Son of Man at some stage in our life. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Well, now, it's not that we were reading it too harshly. It's probably more harsh than we thought because it's expanded it from not just blasphemy but speaking against the Holy Spirit. And now it's not just you can't receive forgiveness in this age but even in the age to come. It's as serious as it gets here. And this, this causes Christians concern. Could I have committed this sin? Could I, maybe there was a part in your life where you weren't a Christian and you said or did certain things and now you wonder, was one of them blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Could I have done something uh, that's, that's caused me to, to be out of relationship with God that I can't get back? Now, I found this passage tricky this week because of verse 32 in particular, but also how it all hangs together, this section. Uh, it's tricky because how does it all hang together? You've got this uh, sin against the Holy Spirit, but then you've got trees and vipers and words coming after it. Uh, and verse 32 itself is tricky because it's, it's different in Matthew than it is in the other two Gospels when it speaks of the unforgivable sin. Because it adds, verse 32, anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So the other two mentioned blaspheming the Holy Spirit, but verse 32 here adds speaking against. And that, what, what's meant by that? Well, at the beginning of the time, our time together, I got you thinking about words. I got you thinking about speaking because of this. It's not just this verse that says the way you speak is important. Andrew, can we have a look at the last two verses that Jesus says here? Verse 36 and verse 37. Verse 36, But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they've spoken. If that doesn't make you jolt, I don't know what will. Carries on. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. So words, speaking, the tongue, the mouth, is clearly important in what Jesus is trying to get across here. As I said, we're back to the beginning. The importance of the tongue, of speaking, of words. And what, once, you, once you notice that, you will see that this theme is right the way through from verse 22 all the way through to verse 37. Consider that in more depth. Jesus heals a man who's demon-possessed and blind and mute. He can't speak. Then, once he's healed this man who can't speak, we see two spoken reactions. Think about that for a moment. Jesus has just displayed incredible power and authority in healing this man. And then there's two spoken reactions. One positive, one negative. Now, remember what the work of the Holy Spirit is. Jesus has used the Holy Spirit to heal this man. He said that uh, in these verses. But the work of the Holy Spirit in a non-Christian is to reveal the truth about who Jesus is and to move that person to realize they need him as their Lord and Savior. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in a non-Christian. To show who Jesus is and to reveal that that person needs Jesus as their Lord and Savior so that they will make the call to follow him. Well, Jesus has just done that. He has revealed who he is in his power and authority very clearly. But then there's two reactions. One, 
a good one. Could this be the son of David? It's a great reaction. But then the Pharisees, verse 24. Oh, it's only by Beelzebub that this guy drives out demons. What's happening here is a real-life illustration of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. What's happening here is a real-life illustration of speaking against the Holy Spirit. The unforgivable sin, the Pharisees are blaspheming the Spirit. They're speaking against the Spirit because the Spirit has shown them the power of Jesus and they will not believe it and, and trust Him and follow Him. The unforgivable sin, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, is when you ignore the work of the Spirit in your life, when you're being shown who Jesus is and that you need him and you turn away from him. In other words, the unforgivable sin is not a a deed or action that is so bad that God refuses to forgive it. Rather, it's an attitude choosing to ignore the only way you can be forgiven. So if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you won't turn to Jesus. You'll turn your back on the only way that you can be forgiven and saved because you've rejected the one who who brings forgiveness. Now, I hope that encourages you. It means if you're a Christian, you can't have committed it because you're trusting in Jesus. More than that, it means if if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian but you're really worried you might have done it, well, then you're getting close to trusting in Jesus. Take the extra half step and trust him. Then you haven't committed it. Because we tend to think of it as a a one-off event, but it might not be. It's more an attitude. We, we, We go, oh, well, I said something once when I was 16. I think that's it. That's not how God judges us. But there is a warning there. If you know who Jesus is and you keep quenching the Spirit and not following him wholeheartedly, there can be a point where you tip over and you will not follow Jesus anymore. Now, the offer's always there, but you may have tipped over. If you know who Jesus is this morning and you're playing loose and light with a foot in in either boat, don't. Take the foot out and jump wholeheartedly into the Jesus boat. So I hope that kind of uh, helps. Before I carry on speaking about words, because words is the key thing here, I want you to notice, though, that although there's an unforgivable sin in verse 31 and verse 32, there's also a wonderful truth in verse 31 and 32. What's the first half of it? Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, except the unforgivable one. Now, I want you to reflect on that. In the same way I want you to take a warning from the unforgivable one, I want you to take comfort from this one. Every sin, if you trust Jesus, every single sin and blasphemy is forgiven. Every single one. Some of us find it hard to believe that. Sometimes there are things we've done that cause us such hurt or such shame, we find it hard to believe. Believe Jesus' promise, because he knows what he's talking about. If you got drunk once and and did something that you've never been able to forget or get out of your mind, you can find full and perfect forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you had an abortion and it's stayed with you, and it's been massive on your, your, your heart and your head, if you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, full and final forgiveness. If you have been the cause of, of causing someone else huge pain and ruining their life, you can have full forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've been sexually immoral, if you've stolen certain things, you can find full and final forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Full forgiveness, full life, full peace. Remember that truth, as well as the the, uh, blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. But do you see the importance of words in this passage? 
And I point that out because I don't think this is how we naturally think today. Our world says that today, words are not that important. We say deeds are more important. We say it's not about talking the talk, it's walking the walk. We say um, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Jesus says our words are really important. Our words display our heart. Our words, second half of verse 34 again, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I think we think of it the other way. I think we would, most of us uh, human beings would say, my heart's pretty good and occasionally it's let down by my mouth, which says foolish things. I think that's the normal reaction. My heart's pretty good, it's just my mouth occasionally says foolish things. Think of all the excuses we use for things that we've said. Because we use it as an excuse. I misspoke. I don't even know what misspeaking is, but that's a big one today. I didn't mean it. Just joking. No offence. There's a person in our family who says no offence at the end of a sentence where they've been really offensive. Uh, I was going to say dad, which says it's a daughter. No, no. Uh, Jay, you big fat pig. No offence. That kind of thing. We, we use these excuses. Oh, my... They would never say that. That wasn't the different example. We use these examples. My mouth. Display my heart. No, it's, we use these excuses for the things that we say. The things we say are really important. The truth is our mouths will reveal our heart. Like going to, as I said, a doctor or a parent and sticking your tongue out can reveal a lot about you physically. The way you speak with your tongue can reveal a lot about where you are spiritually. The Pharisees spoke against the Holy Spirit because they said, this is Beelzebub. So please, control your tongue. Think about what you and I speak. Don't be careless with words like verse 36 warns us of. Don't think it's only actions that count. The mouth and our words matter too. Be controlled in what you speak in tone and content. Our mouth reveals whether we're selfish or selfless. Over time, it reveals it. Our mouth reveals whether we're self-controlled or out of control over time. Over time, our mouth reveals whether we we speak the truth or whether we speak lies. Control our words, because in doing that, we're showing we're members of the kingdom with Jesus as king. We're not members of the other kingdom with Satan. Most of all, as Christians, we're to confess Jesus, witness to our faith in the way that we speak to the world around us, Speak of our trust in him, our uh, love for him. He's worth it. He's the king of the kingdom. He's the servant who will bring peace with gentleness. And he's the one who grants full forgiveness for all who come before him. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for these words of our Lord. Hard words, but words we need to hear. And I pray that you would help us apply them to our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just before I ask Miriam to come and lead us in a time of prayers, uh, we're going to stand and say the creed together. And uh, I'd encourage, like I encouraged us earlier, to uh, sing loudly. Let's encourage each other as we say these wonderful truths together, loudly, encouraging each other that it's not just you that believes it, I believe it, and he believes it, she believes it. So let's stand and say the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in, oh, page five. We believe in page five. (laughs) We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Would you please be seated?